You're listening to the Choose to Be podcast with host Alana Gordon and Amy Wolsey. As you join us each week, we will provide you with tools, resources, and knowledge to help you navigate your healing journey. Choose recovery, choose healing, choose you. Welcome to the Choose to Be podcast. Thanks everyone for joining our conversation today. I just have to tell y'all, this is fun because Alona is in the house. She's literally in my house. (laughs) So we are recording one downstairs, one of us is upstairs, but I'm really excited. So we're going to talk about triggers and specifically answering a lot of your questions on how long do triggers last. We get that a lot. And I get that a lot too, even those that start to learn how to like some basic tools on how to manage triggers and they feel like they're getting a handle on it. But Alana, I still, I still feel like there's this idea that like, okay, if I do the tool perfectly, if I practice enough, then it will go away. <laughs> I mean, or, yeah, I or if I know I'm going to be triggered potentially and I do everything right, then I'll avoid the trigger and it will be fine. <laughs> yeah. I would love to say yes. We would love to tell you that's how it works. And I also am excited about this episode to tell you why it doesn't work that way and what you can do to be more in charge, be more empowered, be more empowered on how to approach these. I think the first, the first thing that we always fall back on is safety and stabilization, even when it comes to triggers, right? So Let's just talk about safety first and why that's important when we talk about like triggers and how long they last. Yeah. Um, and types of safety too, right? Okay. So you had mentioned relational safety before we started recording, but one thing that came to my mind was finding the safety within your body first. That's so funny you say that because as you were talking about safety in my head, I'm like, ooh, before we talk about relational safety, which definitely when there's been a betrayal, We have a lack of relational safety, but yes, we have to find it within ourselves first. And if we can't find it within ourselves, then it makes it really hard, if not impossible to be able to later find it relationally. So that's actually where my brain was going. I love that you just said that. And not surprised as we do shopping today and (laughs) quote shopping and we've kept grabbing the same thing. So yeah, brains on sync today. So let's really quickly what do we mean by finding finding safety within your body? Like, what does that even look like? And what does that mean? I think that could be a whole new episode. And I think I just gave us another idea of an episode. But the first thing that comes to my mind is to, to work on and practice getting out of self-judgment, shame, and, and even blame. And when you can let go of that and drop into more like aware of your body, curiosity of what's happening in your body and with these different emotions, curiosity about what's happening around you, and then practicing just that foundational acceptance of like, okay, this is what's happening. All right, I see you. That right there, breathing, not holding your breath, but breathing, just that right there is a beautiful start to creating relational or safety within your body and in your own nervous system. Yeah, it's in my group this week. We went through a couple of the intimacy triangles and we were talking about 
having that intimacy with yourself in different areas. And I had each of them think about in what area would you like to work on with yourself? And the majority of women across the board in all of my groups said, I really want to work on the self-trust. And so I think there's a big part of that. And when you said like, breathe, just breathe so much, especially in the beginning, there's so much emotional dysregulation and that emotional dysregulation causes that dysregulation in your body, in your nervous system. So really being able to ground yourself and yeah, and share and having the, it makes sense that, it makes sense this is coming up for me. It makes sense that this is triggering. That validation, I love the work of Kristen Neff on self-compassion because if you go to her website, I think it's just like kristenneff.org or maybe selfcompassion.org. I don't know, Google her. But if you look up Kristen Neff's work, the way she describes self-compassion, and we've done episodes on her, so go back and listen to those too. She really gives you verbiage and understanding of how to have self-compassion because the majority of people who actually don't know how to do it is pretty high. Very much so. So, okay, safety within first and how this also relates to your central nervous system getting back online. The other thing to consider here when we're talking about triggers and how long they last is other attachments, other attachment wounds that might be playing in to these triggers that don't always have anything to do with the betrayal in the relationship, but are now activated because of previous betrayals, whether that's with other family members or friends, religious, right? All other types of betrayal that fall under that umbrella. So will you talk a little bit about that, Alana, because I think that's a, I think that's one that we often miss. It, it definitely can be. What, what I've noticed is, well, okay, what I know is the brain links trauma together. And so when we go through one traumatic thing, our brain goes through all of the files from the past and pulls whatever information it can so it can have more understanding of what's happening and also what do I do with this and how do I prepare for danger? And so it almost becomes this interlocking web of all of your past experiences and past traumas and they get linked together. And so I will have women who will say, oh, well, this happened in my childhood, but I worked through that. Or this happened, but I'm totally fine. And, and, and you may be totally fine, but more often than not, our brain has linked them together. And so we need to make sure that as we're working through this trauma, we are paying attention to our triggers that they may not only be what's coming up now, but they may be connected to other things. Yeah, and can we just give maybe a couple, a couple tools to help them better identify what you just said right there? Like this may be the present, a present trigger, something that I need to look at because there's that fear of, am I going to miss something that's happening in the relationship? Or is this something from the past? I know we've done an episode, and I can't remember what it was called, but I know we've done an episode specifically on that. But just really quickly, maybe a couple of your go-tos on how to differentiate. The, 
The first one that comes to mind is the five wives. And it's not really five because I don't know why I always give the number 17, but it could be 17 wives or 34 wives or who knows. But what you do is you start with, I am really upset. I'm dysregulated because, well, first we have to get grounded to be able to do this next level of processing. So get grounded. And then I go, okay, it really upsets me. Maybe that my husband did blank. Okay, why does this upset me? Well, because he didn't think about what I needed and didn't think that this would be scary for me. Okay, so why is not knowing scary for you? Well, not knowing because I've spent all of this time in fear and questioning and wondering. Okay, so why is questioning and wondering feel so unsettling for me? Well, and I also like like the question of like, is this feeling familiar? And so it could be, is this familiar in this relationship? Is it familiar across my life? And as I keep asking myself these whys, okay, so what what about this part? Why is this hard? Why? And every time you go a level deeper and a level deeper and a level deeper, and it's still, the body is so amazing. And it just fascinates me because you get there when there's this visceral reaction, almost like this like breath of like, oh, that's. Okay, that's that's it. Now, just because you get to that, like, oh, that's it, doesn't mean everything's magically better, but it means you went through those layers to really understand a core piece. And you and that's I talked processing. about processing. That's yeah. processing. That is where you got to a good clarity awareness piece. Clarity, yes. Well, and that's what I was just gonna say is you and I always talk about like get curious, get curious, be aware, notice. Yeah. And we do all of that to get to this clarity because it's when we can get to this clarity, then we have more understanding and it's easier than to have direction of what's my next right step. Not what's the whole plan, just what's my next right step. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so again, how long will these triggers last depends on your practice, because there's no arrival, there's, it depends on your practice of being able to create safety within your body. So safety within and practicing to get your central nervous system online as much as, as you can. And then we didn't really touch on relational safety. Let's hit that one later. And then also recognizing the the attachment injuries, whether that is current or past, and you can use a quick tool of the five whys. Or also, I'll add to that too of having that extra support, having someone outside of you to help you explore that safety safely can be really helpful. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And then the next one that you can practice to help reduce the intensity, I guess, and the amount of time that these trauma responses from a trigger last in your body. Also, and this one I think is really fascinating, the length of time that, that you depended on your partner, the severity of the betrayal also plays into the intensity of the trauma response and how long that might last. Yeah, this this is really fascinating to me. The more we depend on our partner for our basic needs and survival, 
the more the betrayal is going to affect us because it goes back to attachment and attachment is connected to that survival. And so I think about my own story and when everything came out, I was a stay-at-home mother. I hadn't finished my college education. I didn't have a job. He was the one who was on the majority of our loans. I didn't have anything outside of him. And so my level of betrayal was very different than if I were to have betrayal today, where A, I have a lot of therapy and emotional resiliency because of everything that I've been through, but I have a job. I have a master's degree. I have the ability to know how I can take care of myself if the need comes. So I do see this in my clients is the more level of dependence there was, the greater depth to their betrayal and the time it takes to recover. And then you also said like the length of time. If it's been going on for 40 years versus four, we're definitely going to have a different trauma response and how long the triggers last. Yeah. Well, and that's working with a lot of divorced women. That's one of the first things really before divorce is even uttered out of their mouth, their brain's already thinking, oh my gosh, what if we end up divorced? And then their brain goes to, but I don't know if I can do this, 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 because I've been depending on him for that. Mm-hmm. And I know I felt a lot of shame around that. I felt I felt all the words of my grandfather echoing <laughs> about getting my education because I, I got married very young and did not finish because I chose to get married and then start a family. And I don't regret that at all. One thing I want to add there to what you said is I agree 100%. It definitely plays into to the level of fear, really, of your mm-hmm. ability and the belief in your ability. And I want to highlight that I wasn't in a position to be able to go back to school and get a master's, but I believed in my abilities and talents that I did have and that I did cultivate. I did go to school during that first marriage and get a little bit of, a, of an education and a degree in baking and pastry arts, but which you do anything with that for me. Just I to know. Say. But I did tell you I need to, I need to compete with that other friend for sugar cookies. So that's on my list. And I'm not forgetting that one. But yeah, and I didn't do anything with that. Honestly, I ended up building a, a cleaning company. But that was all based on a belief that I cultivated in myself. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to also put that out there that like I was so dependent on him in these ways. And when I practice to shift that dependence on me and for me, God, then I did start to believe in my abilities with what I had. And then I could cultivate more and I have cultivated more. I mean, look what I'm doing now. Never imagined I'd be to this level that I'm at now. So, but it started with just the belief of, you know what, I'm, I'm a, Damn good housekeeper, housekeeper. I do a really good job. Maybe I can do something with this. I love organizing. I maybe I can do something with this. So I just wanted to throw that out there too. Well, I love that you said that, and I feel like this actually goes into the next one, or I don't know, it's somewhere on the list. I don't know if it's next, but around healthy attachments, mm-hmm. because a we can have that healthy attachment with ourselves, but 
Attachment injuries are best healed in attachments and God can be an attachment figure for you. And not everyone who listens is religious and that's totally fine. But for those who are seeing God or your higher power as an attachment figure and letting that be a healing tool can be incredibly beneficial. And then your therapist can be an attachment figure. Your coach can be an attachment. Your, if you have a dear friend who is safe, can be an attachment. Your significant other, as they're safe, then we can really rely on these attachments, the ones that are safe, to help us. And the more that we can find those safe attachments, and be able to let those be part of our healing process, that will also help the triggers, us be able to move through the triggers. Yeah, they don't go away. And I've said this several times just with my experience in my second marriage, a lot of triggers in those first four years, really. And and there are a couple of things even still today that I'll just be like, are you for real? Are hmm, are you really being serious right now where there's that part, that trigger uh, or that trauma part that still will wonder and always wonder? I'll say this to some of my clients. Like I actually love, I've learned to love these parts, these trauma parts. So in fact, I, I probably should have said this at the very beginning to answer this question. How long will they How long will these triggers last? It's funny because my brain is like, we haven't technically answered the question, (laughs) but it there's as long as you have a human brain. As long as you have a human brain, these are parts of you, and there are no bad parts of you. And the more you practice to be in charge of these parts as your higher self, then these parts learn that that you've got their back, that you are listening to them. And they don't need to be as loud. I'll use the analogy of like my kids where I don't know if anyone can relate, but my kids will yell my name, even as adults, throughout the house. They will not find me. They will sit on their butts and just mom, 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 mom. And it's not until I go and listen. And when they were little, sometimes they wouldn't even ask anything, which is like, he, right? They just want to know. Do I answer? Do I hear? Do I listen? And I look at my parts like that. When I just am like, what? (laughs) What are you trying to tell me? I hear you. I'm listening. They learn over and over as I do that, that I will listen. And so they'll warn me and I listen. And then I can say, you know what? Actually, that isn't present today. That actually isn't a problem today. Or you know what? I'll be okay. I think I can handle the beach now or whatever that looks like. So that's how I look at it. And I don't expect them to leave just based on what I know about the human brain and human body. And I've learned to really like that my parts will warn me. I just need to listen without the judgment and without the shame, without the blame. And and I want to clarify that what you're saying to somebody who's in the beginning, who you're having triggers all throughout the day, every single day, and you hear that, it's like, I cannot live in this the rest of my life. And that's not not at all what mm-hmm. we're seeing. Your triggers, as you are working through them, will decrease in intensity, though we can still have intense ones. Mm-hmm. 
they will decrease in intensity and they will decrease in frequency. But this idea that I will never be triggered again, like I want to get to the place where I never have a trigger again, it's not realistic. Mm-mm. There still can be, it's just, it's so interesting because I'm almost a decade out and something just the right smell at just the right time of month and just the right <laughs> something, like if just enough elements hit together, my body can go, whoa, 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 hold on. Like whoosh, there's all the feeling. And then I have to slow down, assess, is there a real danger? Hey, body, what are you trying to warn me of? I'm going to sit with that. I'm going to notice. And then I'm going to work through it. And in the beginning, and I'm going to assume you're probably like this too, Amy. If I got a bad trigger, I might stay in that for days. (laughs) And now a bad trigger I can work through, I I don't want to give time frames because I don't feel like that's fair. Because some, if a really bad one comes up, it might be a couple of days before I really understand it. But generally, I would say a lot of my triggers, I can work through within minutes when yeah. they show up. Yeah. But they're few and far in between anymore. Right. Right. And so... But that's there's, because there's you're hope. listening. Well, there is hope. And that's because you're listening to these parts. And you've been creating safety in your body. These things that we're, that we're going through, you have even been able to better identify this, the relational safety. Like all of these things that we're offering to consider and practice are going to help do what you just said there. Eliminate the ones that you can control. And that's something I think is important to say too, is that- it's it, Yeah, slow that down really quick, what you meant yeah. there. So I'll have my clients write, start to just be aware of the triggers that come up for a couple of weeks and write them down. Then we can go through the list and say, okay, which ones do I have control over and which ones do I not? So the radio songs, you have control over that. Don't listen to the radio, put on your Spotify playlist. Those you can control. The ones that you can't, that, those are the ones and the, the attachment pieces that we were talking about earlier. Those are the ones that I still will will be triggered by right my parts will still say whoa 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 because i don't have control over that i don't have control over someone walking into the store dressed a certain way whatever that is i can't control that and at that point it becomes what we're talking about what then can i control my breathing where i look where i can leave Right. All of those things, then I go to taking care of me again, seeing, seeing my part, seeing what it's trying to, what it thinks is so dangerous and then start talking to the part. So that's how, I don't know. I think that's just a really important thing that to also just mention is that there's ones that you can control and ones that you can't. And then really quickly, Alana, this just popped in my head. We didn't write this down, but when we're talking about the triggers that you can and can't control. Okay. The beach is coming up for me. That was one of the things that I avoided for a very long time. The beach, the pools, any of that, right? And I could control that. But at some point I do want to offer, and again, this is for those that maybe have done their work a little bit longer than just super raw trauma listeners. But at some point... Yes, I can never go to the beach again, but that's my happy place. 
So leaning back into the things that were triggering after I've created more safety in my body, after I'm learning to trust myself more, after I've, right, all these things, then I can lean back into these types of, of environments. I can listen to songs that I could never listen to before because I've safely leaned back in. So I, that thought just came to me too, is I don't want to give the impression that like, okay, I'm, I can control that and I'm never going to be able to go to the beach again or get in a bathing suit again. No, let's, let's just control it now while we work on creating safety within, while we work on trusting ourselves, while we work on all these other things. Well, I love all of that so much. And the thought that keeps going through my head is you and I had a conversation around this this morning was around choice and agency. And what makes trauma trauma is there's not a choice in that. Yeah. And so finding these areas where you do get to choose for yourself and even same thing with me, I wanted to take my kids to the water park. And in the beginning, I didn't want to do it with my husband by my side. It took a while before I could even go on my own. And that was a choice. And it was a choice for me to, as I looked around the people around me, to just celebrate women who were there just being themselves, trying to enjoy their families and enjoy their kids and letting them be just themselves without me objectifying them. Yeah. Not sexually object- objectifying them, but just objectifying them. Yeah. And so and that objectifying was- ourselves. Mm-hmm. I, that's one thing I really had to, I didn't realize that until I read the body more or the more the than book, a body, more than a body. I had no mm-hmm. idea about self-objectification and mm-hmm. that blew my friggin' mind. I was like, oh yeah. Great book. If you were Ready. interested in doing some work on yourself, yeah. but there's, there's that choice. And when I can own I am choosing to go because I am choosing to have this experience with my kids. And then when I was ready, I am choosing to go with my husband because enough safety had been created. I am choosing to go with my husband, but I am choosing to not be wrapped up in what he is doing or not doing. Yeah. And then later it was, I am choosing to go and I'm choosing to enjoy connecting with my husband. So for me, there was all of these little choices that included stepping into some level of discomfort and these choices of what do I want and what type of experience do I want to have? Yeah. Yeah. And then working through the triggers that come with each step of the way. Yeah. I love that you brought um, agency into it because it's so beautiful and so powerful. It's really the foundation right there. It's for me. Okay, so as we do this, as we practice this, you will build that individual resilience and you will learn how to create your own healthy coping strategies that work for you and then support. Wait, can we stay on the resilience really quick? Because totally. how long trauma lasts for us really does depend on the level of resilience we have. So if this is the first hard thing you've gone through in your life. It might take you longer to build up resilience because resilience is a skill. You don't just go through hard things and become resilient. It actually takes like this dedicated choice, it takes choice, this dedicated choice to work on building the skill of being resilient. And so 
I, I have some women who are, when they're in the depths of their trauma, they're like, I don't have resilience. And we'll, we'll say, okay, but you're still here, meaning at some level, even if it's down in your pinky toe, there's some level of resilience that is in there that says that I will wake up and I get out of bed this morning. And so really practicing that skill of resilience, so important. Yeah. I like that you slowed that down. And it really, it really will come. It really will come. There's hope there. And then support, finding a safe, healthy support that's supporting you in your, in your next right step right now. I think sometimes we find support or we get into groups where there's support and they're helpful, but then other because there's no timeline and everyone has their own individual journeys and steps and choices. Sometimes someone is going to be making a different choice or a different direction and it doesn't support yours. And so there's times, I think we did an episode on this too, where we maybe need to shift what that support looks like, but finding just a few, just takes a couple that support you in the direction that you're going right now also makes a huge difference in those being able to process your trauma response and how long that lasts because if you have someone that's feeding an unhealthy message and kind of perpetuating the the response or the trigger i guess then it's going to last longer mm. okay i you slipped that in at the end there and i yeah. don't like that's so big so what you're saying and I really want to slow this down. What you're saying is if you have people who are heightening your trigger or just feeding it works, instead of empowering you to, or trying to make decisions for you or give you advice versus listening and letting you make your own choices, there's so many ways our help cannot be helpful, which I, I think this leads into the relational piece, which we put aside that we said we'll come back to, is the, what is the environment around you and is it supportive of healing and is it supportive to help create that environment for you to thrive? So your support people, are they helping create an environment where you can begin to thrive? Whether it be your professionals that you're working with or whether it be your friends or whether it be your support network. Are they part of that type of environment? Yeah. And then this goes into the significant other is are they part of creating an environment where you are safe and where you will, or I will say safe enough because that safety is often a journey of figuring it on both sides, but are they helping to provide an environment that you can thrive and be your best self. Right. So for example, a client who might find, start to find some safety and some calm and some grounding away from the partner, whether they're separated or just a weekend separation, but time apart, right? Physically apart. And I hear her start to say how she feels some clarity, some grounding. There's less brain fog. There's less confusion. There is even a little bit of peace and options. When I start hearing her say and, and rattling off a couple of different options, 
I'm like, okay, we're grounded. We're getting some, she's getting somewhere. But then she reintegrates back into that space with her partner and the confusion is back and the chaos, the brain fog, the, the limiting options where she now doesn't think she has a choice or she has to choose something that, you know, other than what she thought. That is a great indicator to be aware of and identify the relational safety. And that's what we're talking about is that's not what, and what you just said, an environment where you can thrive because you cannot thrive in confusion. You cannot thrive in brain fog. So that example right there would be one, if you can relate to that, to then bring to your one-on-one professional to help you navigate, is this really relational safety? If every time I'm in the space, I'm confused and activated and can't get grounded. Not to say that if you're activated that it's unsafe, but I'm activated and I can't get grounded. I want to be specific there. I think about different individuals who have betrayed that I've worked with and working on that side of it. And we're looking at their partner. And if their partner, when they get a little time and space is getting grounded, but then my client is really uncomfortable with the distance. And so they want to like hurry and like close that gap because it feels scary. And then that's dysregulating their partner. That's where I have to really work with them of if you truly care about the relationship and if you truly care about the partner, you need to give them the space that they need to heal. We need to be there if they need us, be that solid attachment, but give them the distance, whatever that space may be, that they can heal and can get grounded. Because you keep taking, I'm speaking to the person who betrayed, if they keep taking their own discomfort of their partner getting safety and keep pushing, then all that does is it prolongs the pain. It prolongs us not getting that safety. It prolongs the triggers. More rupture. Yeah. And so really, and I'm speaking again to those who have betrayed, honoring your partner's need, no matter how scary it is, for them to have the level of grounding and safety they need in whatever way they need to get it. And then speaking to partners, you really have to be the one to speak up for yourself of what you need and figure out what you need as far as that goes. I I wanted him to say, you need to go take time away. Go upstairs and get grounded. Like I wanted him to direct that process because I didn't know what my needs were, number one. I didn't know how to honor my needs. I didn't know how to show up for myself. So I wanted him like, you did this. You fix a relationship. You fix me. And the truth was, is as long as I was putting my power in his hands, I truly couldn't move forward in the way I needed to. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you said that. So one thing that I, that I also just want to add that I have learned in my own experience is that when you have a trigger and your body is having a response to that trigger, trust your body. Trust your body. And what I mean by that is 
when my body has a response. Even though cognitively, I might be able to be like, well, that's, that doesn't make sense. Or, well, that, that's ridiculous, right? Whatever my brain might be trying to tell me, I don't want to bypass what my body is telling me and jump to the brain. Your, trust your body over your brain first. So when my body is telling me something, the more that I have practiced just believing my body, first then and I love Vicky Tobel Palmer I have the right to be wrong I'm going to believe my body and I'm going to do what I need to do to get some safety and space whatever that looks like and then if I am wrong and it is not something that is currently a threat in the present then I can change direction and change my mind and I cannot reiterate that enough I know for me my, one of my own personal vows that I made to myself after all of this was that I would not betray my body, that I would practice the hell out of trusting my body and trusting my intuition, even if that meant someone might get, choose to get their feelings hurt over it or someone might not understand uh, my decision at that point. And I will tell you, there are many times in my new relationship where Scott has not understood why I took some space and he didn't do anything. My body was pulling, was telling me something and I created that space and I got curious and I don't want to pretend like this was easy. It was so scary because I didn't know how he was going to respond, Scott. But even in his response, helped create some safety, helped create mm -hmm. some trust. But more than anything, my, my body just needed to again know that I'm not going to ignore you. I'm not going to ignore you again. I've got you. I've got you. Mm -hmm. So trust your body. Know that it's okay if you take some space and then go, you know what? Yeah, no, we're, we are okay. And change your mind, change direction. Or take some space and realize. I'm not in a safe environment and I need to actively make some choices yeah. to create the safety I need. It can, it can. It can go whatever way it goes. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll finish with this thought is I will tell my clients, I do not want you taking anything I say as your truth and your answers. Mm. I want anything I say or any other professional or your friends, or your spouse, or anyone else, I want it to run through your filter. You are the expert in your own life. Doesn't mean that you're going to have all of your answers instantly, but learning how to listen to your, your heart, your body, your gut, all of that, learning how to listen, learning how to trust, learning how to act and choose you will be the expert. So please do not put anyone else, including me, on any type of pedestal having the answers. I can lay stuff on the table in front of you, but it's your job to sort through and decide what you're going to pick up and what you're going to hold and run with. Yep. And and I'll just reiterate, you can, you can do that. It's already within you. You have all the answers within. We just guide you along the way. Well, okay. Thanks for hanging out with Amy and I today. 
as always, we love being able to share with you. I picture you sitting here with us. We literally had our teas, both of us tonight, and hope you had yours as you sat with us. And we look forward to seeing you all next week. If you are in a place to start exploring how to accept and possibly learn how to appreciate these parts, the things are warning you, to start believing that you are capable of healing and thriving, and you are ready for the Believing in You coaching program. Here you will gain more awareness into your brain, into these triggers, and into these parts of you that do know how to heal and thrive. This is how you take your healing up a level, or two, or three. It really depends on you and how ready you are to start believing in yourself, trusting yourself, maybe liking yourself again. Check out the link in the show notes, and if you are not sure, If you're ready, then book a consultation with me and let's chat. It's all about continuing to practice choosing to heal, choosing recovery, and choosing you. Take care, everybody.